When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, good looking. Why's a nice boy like you listening to a podcast like this? Take this down, hot stuff. Record Rangers is part of the Daily Record Podcast Network. Subscribe at iTunes or Audio Boom. Mwah! Hello and welcome to the Record Rangers podcast. I'm Jonah McFarlane and today I'm joined by Scott McDermott once again. Two big talking points on the pod today as we reflect on yet another old firm game ending in disappointment for Rangers and assess the big talking points from that match. We also look ahead at a potential banana skin at Hamilton on Friday night and we each propose three January signings that could make a difference to this Rangers team. Okay, before we get into the podcast, um, we've had a breaking story today regarding a... fractious team meeting that was broken by Keith Jackson in the record Keith, tell us a little bit about this story as it stands well, It's just uh, on Monday, Johnny the Rangers players reported for training, first day back after the defeat to Celtic on Saturday they were called into a team meeting by Pedro Cook Senior uh, and uh, what was started off as a sort of a post-mortem sort of turned into a, a very fiery affair um, it was one-way traffic. There wasn't much scope for discussion, as far as we can gather. Uh, and um, senior, I think I think that the the way in which he put his message across came as a great surprise to a number of the players inside the dressing room. Um, it was delivered with a ferocity that I don't think they saw coming. And there were also a number of accusations, which, to all intents and purposes, from the outsider's point of view, at least would appear to have driven a, a rather significant wedge right in through the middle of his, of his own dressing room. I don't know the sense in it, um, but he seems to have accused the home base players of not welcoming him, his staff and his new summer signings from abroad to the club. Um, some might say that's six months later than it should have been if that's the case. Um, and he's also uh, seemed to pick out uh, Graham Dorans, saying that Dorans showed the manager a lack of respect by handing his armband to Kenny Miller when Miller replaced Carlos Peña uh, from the bench during the second half of Saturday's match um, who, who did he expect him to hand it to? He's I already described Kenny think, as one of his five captains Yeah but I think that I, th- I can only assume that what he's talking about there lack of respect means that he wasn't instructed from the sidelines to hand over therefore you know he is the manager he's made Don's captain for the match and Don should keep that armband unless instructed otherwise from the sidelines. Seems to be the way that Pedro likes things done. There's also, uh, obviously, a story behind the story in terms of what's happened with regards to the way this has broken out. What's your take on events since you found out the information? Um, very surprised with one or two events that happened uh, Monday night. It seems to me this story was first leaked out uh, by a, a website um, which has extremely close links to uh, Rangers' own PR department, uh, outsourced PR department. Um, and that's the, the story went up online at 20 past eight, and it was a very positive day. There's been a clear the air thing, and everybody's great, and everybody's lovely, and players are all happy. And, you know, it, it looked like uh, PR fluff. It read like it, and I think most people have, have looked at that and thought that's exactly, you know, come to that conclusion, that's exactly what it is. Um, this was no ordinary meeting. If it had been an ordinary meeting, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it just now. These are extraordinary times at Rangers. Um, and Pedro Gutsinha has a real fight in his hands to win back the dressing room unity. Um, I mean, at times like these, after a, a, a derby defeat, another one at home at Celtic, you're looking for the United Front, you're looking for everybody to pull in the same direction. It seems to be a real fracture inside 
Rangers right now. Pedro Cristina is going to have to heal that, um, and he's going to have to get a performance out of these players now on Friday night away to Hamilton, particularly perilous trip on Astoturf. Um, if it goes badly, if that game goes badly, if he doesn't get a bounce out of these players, then Pedro Cristina's back is right, right up against the wall. Um, I'll be very surprised if there isn't you know, serious discussion behind the scenes uh, with the Rangers board right now about his credentials for the job and if time, the time to pull the trigger on it is, is approaching. If he drops points at Hamilton, that will only accelerate the process. Do you get the sense that this split is irrevocable? Um, I, I think it's going to be very difficult uh, for for him to put this right. Um, it's difficult. I, I would imagine there are some good senior pros inside that dressing room who will be wanting to, to pull it all together and there will be an appetite to try and do that. Um, but if, if, there's, if, if Kixinia's words have created an us v them um, sort of atmosphere inside his own dressing room, that's a pretty difficult one to, to, to pull back from. Um, look, do you know what? As is always the case in football, wins help with everything. If there's a bad atmosphere in, in a football club, win some games, it makes everything feel a whole lot better. Um, but it does feel... And you know, when you've done this job for long enough, you're around these situations, been around hundreds of them by now. There does you you do start to sniff at crisis, and I would say to you that Rangers are at crisis point right now. Pedro Cixinha is at crisis point right now, and the only thing that's going to change that is winning games. See, if you start winning games, it doesn't help, it doesn't half help with team morale. All of a sudden, the problems that were there yesterday don't seem quite as big as they were. You go on in the next game, you start building momentum. It's not too late because clearly I don't think there's going to be any decision made ahead of Hamilton so it's not too late for him to get a response to build up momentum and all of a sudden all these problems will disappear that's just what happens it's only when you're going through a bad time that these problems are magnified and that, that, they, that they become such a central point um, fail to win at Hamilton and that atmosphere that we're talking about you know the, the sort of fractious um, situation that they've got behind the scenes it'll only get worse uh, winning football matches is the answer to everything and Pedro Cixinha I'm afraid his track record thus far suggests that he's not very good at doing that Finally Keith um, you talked there about having seen these kind of stories before and getting a sniff um, I wondered that if this has a whiff of the Paul Le Guin era about it in terms of the, the split in the dressing room between two fractions one being Scottish oh, Paul, and listen, listen Paul Le Guin Tony Mowbray Ronnie Dyla, the list goes on and on and on and on. It's, it's just this is just what happens when a management situation is turning bad, when when a manager is clearly struggling to cope with the scale of the job in hand. Listen, see if you're at St Johnston or you're at Motherwell, all, you, you're not operating under the same pressures. If you're at Rangers or if you're at Celtic or the, or the international job for that matter, these are high intensity positions. Everything is under the magnifying glass. And it all comes back to the one thing, results. Now, there's no difference here, uh, or no great difference here between Caxinia and Le Guin because it started to go bad. Why did it start to go bad? Because he wasn't getting results. The atmosphere in the dressing room is not good. Um, the exact same under Ron, uh, Ronnie Dial at Celtic. And he was winning leagues, by the way, but there was still this problem behind the scenes. This is just symptomatic of a manager struggling to cope with the demands of the job, and that's what's happening at Rangers right now. Pedro Cixinha is right up against it, and if he doesn't start winning games, and a lot of them, and very quickly, I'm afraid it's only going to end one way. Keith Jackson, thanks for joining me. Scott, it was yet another old form game that ended in disappointment for Rangers and their fans. How do you reflect on the game overall? Um. I think the first thing you need to say, <clears throat> Johnny, before looking back over it is that going into the game, the injury problems Rangers had Brutal. were always going to be an issue. I mean, when the team sheet came out, uh, when it was at Ibrooks on Saturday, when you're looking at it, patched up defence, you know, you're talking about international players, Lee Wallace, Bruno Alves, Declan John, Nico Crancher, all internationals. Scott, you watched the... You watch the under-21 games and things like that, don't you? Yeah. you? You've been to see Scotland. 
What is the gap between someone like Scott Sinclair, Lee Griffiths, and an under twenties league? Oh, it's huge, uh, huge. I mean, in terms of the under twenties league, I mean, I think everybody accepts that that everybody now accepts in Scottish football that that environment isn't really conducive to producing players who are ready to go into top flight, you know, Premiership games, especially a game like Saturday, you know, a derby like that. So. Well, the gap's huge, and as I say, when you were looking at that defence, no, it was so uh, so patched up. No, you knew that Rangers, it was going to be a problem for Rangers. Listen, if Rangers had a full squad to choose from, Pedro Cachinha didn't have one injury concern. If he had even squad guys like Rossiter and Crancher and all that fit, Rangers would have still found it difficult to beat Celtic at Ibrox. The fact that they were missing six, I think it was, he was giving uh, seven players their old firm debut. It was always going to be an uphill task. Um, but my argument would be that, that once you've got those injuries, you, know, you realise how understrengthed you are. You then need to look at your opposition, respect the opponent, respect their quality, <coughs> appreciate what you're up against, and then go and pick a team in a shape that, that, that might get your result. And I just don't think Rangers did that. I don't think Pedro Cachinha uh, gave that defence enough protection for a start. Um, that's that centres presumably on the decision to pick Peña ahead of Holt. Because on this podcast yeah. last week, you were advocating Jason Holt on the basis yeah. of his great performance, I think, against Celtic at Parkhead. Yeah. And I thought, watching the game, Peña, despite me trying to say that I felt that you should have played last week, I thought you were proven right on that. I think. Yeah. He didn't get an opportunity to get forward, so you never saw what was this, the strong part of his game. And in terms of defence, in terms of tracking back onto Scott Brown, he just didn't look like that's a natural part of his game. Yeah, so I, th- I think we said last week that well, Scott Brown, whatever you think of him, is the heartbeat of this Celtic team. You know, he dictates the tempo. <clears throat> you know, he dictates the kind of he likes to dictate the game as a whole. You know, for any team to stop them, uh, including Rangers. You need to look at that. It's all right saying, right, but we've got Lee Griffiths and Scott Sinclair and that to deal with and that that's that's right, but no, the source, everything comes from Scott Brown. He's at the centre of everything because they play through him from the back. As I say, he dicta- he likes to dictate everything for that position just in front of the back four. And we we both agreed that if Rangers were going to have any success they had to try and upset his rhythm and upset Celtic's rhythm. And I just I think, as you say, we've been proved that Carlos Pena wasn't the answer in that role. Now, I've heard a couple of people saying Kenny Miller should have been in that role. That might have worked a bit better, but I think... People I say, have been slaughtering Kenny Miller all season for his performances, yeah. so it's, and also, it's one of those... I, I think I said to you last week that I, don't, I think that role, it's no other role for a striker. No, it's, it's a role for a, a midfielder who knows, who knows that position, who knows... Who anticipates and can uh, almost knows uh, telepathically what Scott Brown's going to do or what he's wanting to do, so that you can then, in your own mind, try and stop him. You think playing. Graham Dorans would have been better for that position? I said last week I think Dorans would have been ideal for it. No, in two, uh, for two reasons. One, I think he's got the legs, he's got the energy, um, he knows the position, he knows Scott Brown, knows his game, so I think he could have got in about him. But didn't also, you give him a four in the Sunday meal? I, I didn't actually, but that's, that's another story altogether. <laughs> uh, Moving swiftly on. But also, the fact that you could release Dorrance, and, and we've spoken about it countless occasions already this season, that I feel as if he's been restricted in a 4 4 2, sitting beside Ryan Jack. Yeah. I think he's playing the game very cautiously in his own, in his own head. Um, he's wary of going forward um, and leaving uh, what's going on behind him. So if you'd have started with Jason Holt, uh, Jason Holt and Ryan Jack obviously ideally I think it, the, the Rangers fans and probably Pedro Cachinha would prefer it if it was Jack and Rossiter but we all know about his injury I think that's, that's that's very flat footed that midfield I, against Celtic maybe yeah. but I think against Progress Nearcorn there was so little penetration coming from that midfield yeah. uh, and I know that's a totally different type of game yeah. but um, they're so similar those two players Mate, perhaps but I, I think for the Celtic game and, and I would argue probably for 
if you were going away to Aberdeen or away to Hearts or whatever, you would maybe use the same system. But I think Rossiter, I think Rossiter and Jack are different because I think Jack's probably better on the ball. I see Rossiter more as a guy who gets in about people and has loads of energy and gets in about people's ankles, uh, opponents' ankles, and I think that's what Rangers needed on, on Saturday. Um, but with him out, Jason Holt was probably the only guy they had left to them capably playing that role. I think he did well at Partick Thistle in the previous game when he came on, despite having not played a lot of football. Um, and I just think it would have gave Rangers a better chance. Listen, I'm not saying that it, it would have won them the game. I'm not saying that it would have even got them a point from it. I just think anyone can see the Peña experiment in that number 10 role sitting Scott Brown failed miserably. What, what are you hearing about Peña? Because we've now seen him for, I think, something like just over 150 minutes. Um, I was looking at some stats earlier on today, stats geek that I am, and from the positive side of things, I think he is now the third highest shots per 90 minutes start in the SPFL. So that's a bit unusual um, in terms of the way he's been perceived. But I think especially against Celtic, he was just so quiet. What what What's the talk at Murray Park or what have you heard? Because he's a big budget player. He's coming for a lot of money. He's presumably on very good wages. You know, His last transfer move was £8 million, as we've discussed. And he hasn't hit the, set the header a light at all. He's barely played. So yeah. where are we at with him? I'm pretty sure that within Murray Park... Um, most of the people who see Carlos Pena on a daily basis expected more from him. Um, <clears throat> even when he played in some early like, under-20s games, uh, although he, he clearly wasn't fit, I think people who watched those games and who played in them just expected a bit more because it was, uh, it was it's well known about the, the financial outlay that Rangers have, uh, have laid out for him. So... I just don't see it, William Johnny. I mean, you want the guy to be a success. No, you want him to be this explosive attacking midfield player that, no, as you've spoke about, you see in the YouTube clips. No, you want to see that. No, just for Rangers' sake. For no, if he produced that kind of stuff, Scottish football would be better for it. But every time I've watched him, I just don't see it. I don't think he still doesn't look fit enough to me. I hear managers nowadays at all levels talking about players who get about the pitch. Yeah. You know, it's a big quality now for, for midfielders. I think of guys off the top of my head like a, like a James MacArthur, for instance, for Scotland, who's, who plays in the English Premier League. Um, Steve Davis was like that, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah. D- Davis probably <coughs> technically better than a MacArthur, but when you think, <coughs> think of a James MacArthur not necessarily gifted with great technique or, or skills but you know, any manager that's worked with him one of the first things he'll say he gets about gets about the pitch he's got legs we all know in modern day football how big fitness is fitness and conditioning you can't help but look at Carlos Peña and think something's lacking there I don't know why Rangers or how Rangers have been unable to get him up to a level of fitness in the, the the time frame that he's been there, he should be ready to go. He should be, he should be capable of getting into a game and playing a game like that and playing. It's not just Carlos Pena though, is it? I mean, we've had Alec McLeish. I don't know if you saw today yeah, yeah. from Sports Sound yesterday um, on the BBC. He was questioning the whole team's fitness, and I think Chris Boyd pretty much agreed with him. Is there an issue there? We've sort of touched on it in previous weeks, but are we starting to see it more? I think it's a worry. I mean, we've been over it uh, before. We said it last week. My worry about this Rangers team was this uh, this habit that they've uh, no, that they've got of playing uh, playing well in games for short spells and then and then having a lull. And I, and I thought the Celtic game was probably another example of that. I mean, when Rangers were in at half time on Saturday, clearly Celtic had started the game quicker and better probably should have been ahead but from 20 minutes onwards Rangers midfield kind of finally got got a grip of it they looked a threat on the counter attack I still think personally it was a penalty when Simonovic 
challenged my So did I, yeah, I think it was a penalty. Th- he, he didn't have to dive in, and he no, did dive in. I, I've he went to ground. I heard, uh, I heard Michael Stewart and Stephen Thompson talking sports scene both uh, said it wasn't a penalty, but having spoken to Steve Conroy, former grade one ref for the Sunday Mail, uh, for Sunday's paper, he was adamant that it was a penalty and made a... Uh, no, this, he kind of told us why by saying that uh, Simunovic basically put an obstacle in front of Alfredo Morelos and whether you like it or not, Morelos couldn't quite get over that obstacle. So if you're going to take that chance and put the obstacle in place, or put the obstacle down, then you're running a big risk, a penalty. And I think it, well, I thought it was a penalty at the time when I was at the game, and I still think it was. So that might have had a bearing on how the game went, we're not sure. But going in at half-time... Rangers should have been you know, hugely encouraged by the fact that A, they'd got to half-time at 0-0, and B, for the second part of the first half, they had actually caused them a problem. And not only that, they did look defensively organised, yeah. in, a, in a way that maybe we hadn't seen, certainly in previous old firm games. Yeah, McCrory, young McCrory was playing well, um, Cardozo, without being brilliant in the first half, at least kept things simple, which... He hadn't been doing in previous games, he was just winning headers, clearing his lines. The biggest problem for Rangers the first half defensively was probably Patrick Roberts going at Hodgson, I thought. And I think Josh Windash could have maybe helped his mate behind him a bit more with that. Uh, but Hodgson was having a problem. But my point is, getting in at half-time, having been encouraged by the, you know, that, that spell towards the end of the first half, Rangers should have come out the second half flying out the traps. No, Kashinia should have got them in there saying, listen, we've survived that first 15-20 minutes, we're well in this game, we're halfway through, we're still at nil-nil, give me some more of that, what you've done. And the, the real worry, and again, is it down to fitness? Um, we don't know, but it would appear that you know, when they came out second half, they were so flat, it was unbelievable, and Celtic obviously took full advantage of that, scored a few minutes in, 51 minutes gone, Kashinia realises that the Pena experiment isn't working, changes it and brings Miller on. And with regards to fitness, again, the worry is, there was no real reaction. I mean, there was the Morelos header, which was a great chance, we all know that, but at 2-0 down, when the second goal was in, you think about it, 2-0 down at home, in an old firm game, and the two 0 is not an insurmountable no, margin to, to to try and get back. Rangers should have been battering Celtic's door down at two 0 trying to get that goal that would give them a, a fighting chance getting into the last ten minutes. That couldn't have been any further for the for the truth. It's so difficult to get the ball off Celtic. I suppose we saw the stats this week. Yeah. It says they're the best possession team in Europe. Yeah. And and I think Rangers have got a real problem in actually trying to control the game against Celtic, and that's that's the main thing. Yeah. I think he's trying to control the midfield and force Celtic out to the wings, but getting, after that, getting, second, a, getting a first goal would help. With that. Aye, if you I, get I, the first goal and get the penalty, then you can try and control it. No, you should have a level of control, knowing you've got that one 0 advantage. But you're right. I mean, you're talking about Scott Brown dictating their tempo. I mean. When they went 1-0 up, then that, that was it for them. They just keep the ball, they shuttle it. Between Brown and the two centre-halves, they just shuttle it from side to side. Um, and you're right, Rangers at that point couldn't get hold of it. Is it a bit of an indictment on Pedro that in that, at the end of the first half, they had that incident with Scott, he had that incident with Scott Brown, it felt like he was trying to galvanise his team, he was trying to G them up, he was trying to say, look, I'm here for you, I'm, I'm sticking up for you, I'm going to make a point of this. Yeah. But they were so flat in the second half. Did it, did it, do you think it affected his concentration? Or do you think we make too much of this sort of thing in the media? Yeah, I'm not sure it affected his concentration. I just think it was unnecessary. I mean, as we've said there, no, at that point in the game, Rangers were actually doing quite well. I mean, if I was Pedro Cusinha, at half time on Saturday, I'd have been racing into the dressing room after the game, eh, after that half, to say to them you know, how well they'd done for the previous 20 minutes, 25 minutes. It was just the wrong time to do it. <coughs> you know, it was a bit. It was the wrong instant as well, the there was nothing inst- in it. No, there was nothing much in it. 
Um, and after the game, no, whether Pedro likes it or not, I mean, I'm, I'm all for guys who are passionate and fighting for their club, standing up for their players, of course you are. Um, but after the game, you couldn't help but think, no, you're in the press room after it, listening to him, you just couldn't help but thinking he's using this a bit to try and deflect away from the fact that it's yet another old firm defeat, yet another pretty poor performance um, against your against your main rivals and the, the Brown thing became became the kind of story the story of the, of the day if you like um, and that probably probably suited Rangers at that point Well look ahead now to the Hamilton game do you think that it's now time for Pedro to start assessing the 4-4-2 um, I'll tell you my take on it Scott I think a 3-4-3 might be the way forward. Weak defensively, get an extra centre-back in there. Tavernier and whichever left-back is playing tends to be more suited in terms of the personnel Rangers have to bombing forward. So if they straight the back, they're more covered. It frees up Graham Dorrance to go into the hole, and potentially, because you can either put someone Jason Holt in there or someone else in there, um, alongside Jack, or maybe Rossiter when he gets back fit. But it certainly gives you the opportunity to get Dorans a wee bit so, further so, forward. So would that be like a more like a three five? Ah, three, three five two, two four three three type. Just so, three four three type thing. Just move. Ah, I suppose technically yeah. three four three or a or a uh, three five two. So would you lose somebody like Candias for that? For instance? Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah. Is unfortunately the negative to this is that you're losing Candias yeah. out of the equation, who's been decent. However, I just look at that squad and that team and the way they're performing at the moment, and I think. The only box that isn't being ticked is Candias because yeah. you've got weakness in the left and it yeah. solves that. Yeah. Um, I know Hodgson maybe would be the best candidate at the moment, but as soon as John comes back, he looked like he's really comfortable going forward. Yeah. Lee Wallace, we know, left wing back would probably be his best position. Yeah. Um, and certainly Tavernier on the other side. Would you go McCrory and Cardozo as the. I think so. I think, I think you make. Galvez in the middle. Yeah. I think you 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 say um, Alves sit back and and watch the game, yeah, and the other two go and win yeah. the ball. Listen, it's a decent argument, and of course, it's worth looking at. Of course, it's a, a system, a formation worth looking at. But you know what it's like, modern day football. You need to managers now and players should be capable of uh, adapting, you not know, depending on the game, depending on the opposition. So I suppose he's got to look at. The way Hamilton Aki's play on their own their own turf. He's got to look at the Astro Tough. It's always at, a battle, isn't it, at Hamilton? Yeah, you need to look at all the conditions, how they're going to play. I mean, I, I'm no uh, kind of tactical genius, but obviously the not going with a three five two or a three four three. The problem you've got then is if you've got an opposition who play you no know, high up wing attackers, if you like, so for instance, Patrick Roberts and Scott Sinclair. If you've if you play three at the back with your two you know, with a Taverne and a Wallace pushed on, the danger is always that you know, a Roberts or a Sinclair pushed up is going to drag the centre backs out and, and stuff. That that's fairly simple stuff. So you you'd, you'd have to, against that kind of team you'd have to pull them right back yeah. and tell them to sit deep. So it becomes a five three two. Yeah. It's a bit like Mourinho I think. Jose Mourinho said a few weeks ago he was laughing about people going three five two this new fad. This is well, it's no a three, it's a five. No, at yeah. the back, that's, that's that's what it is when you're defending. It's, it's a five. So, listen, it's worth looking at. Of course, it is, and maybe the four four two people, including myself, I, I, I admit, but we're probably raving a wee bit about the four four two Kishina when he did it pre season because it looked like. He was doing the right thing and getting back to basics, basic system, basic formation. I remember speaking to Lee Wallace in pre-season at a press conference where he was so uh, no, he was buzzing about that formation because everybody knew what they were doing. All the players knew their roles. Um, but well, now what? Seven, eight games into the season, Rangers are eight points behind. So it's clearly not working as well as Pedro Cassini thought it would. So of course, it's worth looking at different. Systems and the kind of emergence of Ross McCrory has maybe given him that option. No, that, that, he, that he maybe didn't think he would have. He's obviously come in and did really well. He looks the part. He looks as if uh, 
no, nothing will phase him. I know in his loan spells, uh, and also with the Scotland youth teams, he's been used at fullback on both sides, as well as centre back, as well as sitting in front of the back four. So he's a flexible, adaptable young. It's a big player. lad for a fullback. Yeah, he's well. I th- I think he's a wee bit short to be a centre back. Personally, was he six one? I'm not sure exactly. I mean, he's probably about a head, a head smaller than Cardozo. Um, but he's played in both fullback positions. So by that, what I mean is going to a, a three might actually suit him. Do you know what I mean? Where he's no, he doesn't need to be that dominant force in a in a back four. Um, he could play either side on a three. So it's definitely worth looking at. But as I say, you need you need to look at Hamilton how Hamilton have played the last few games, what their strengths are, the pitch, as we know, and then decide on, on a system that can that can win you the game. Yeah, I mean, Hamilton is notorious um, for being a difficult game for Rangers. I don't think they've gone and comfortably won there, but since the club have been back in the top flight. Ali Crawford, a player to watch, he's a guy that will happily take shots from anywhere on the pitch and pose a threat with them definitely he's, he's definitely one to watch I think probably in recent weeks the guy uh, who's been uh, most dangerous for Hamilton has been young Greg Dockery who's just been named the Scotland under 21 squad today um, his goal against St Johnson at Dermot Park was a cracker on, on Saturday um, he scored the goal obviously that, that kept Hamilton in the, the top flight um, in the playoffs last year against Dundee United I really like Dockery Um talking about guys that get about the pitch he gets about the pitch he's a guy that you can see I don't want to no, I don't want to jinx, jinx the boy but he's a guy he's kind of typical young Scottish player that you can see in three or four years time probably playing with a Derby County or a Cardiff or something in, in the Championship it reminds you maybe of James MacArthur then as a you're bit, talking a bit yeah, like yeah. that a, a bit like that um, he's just got he's got good physique very fit uh, good legs it's clearly an eye, eye for goal no, a bit kind of old school in terms of I don't think he's a I don't think you would class him as a sitting midfield player or a number 10 he's just an, an old fashioned box to box central midfield player um, and I know from speaking to him really level headed kid but but ambitious no, and, and no, confident in his own ability so no, Rangers will need to watch him uh, Probably no the pitch as well being an issue. What's, have you asked Pedro Cascina about the, the sort of uh, artificial pitches in Scottish football? I, I, remember, yeah, I, I remember asking him, uh, it must have been before they played a game uh, at Kilmarnock or Hamilton, um, but he kind of brushed it off, uh, I think. Warburton used to love to wax, oh, about, wax on about it, didn't I he? Because he really, he really didn't like it. I always remember when Waghorn fell over. And Warburton described his injury as lacerations. Yeah, that's right. I seem to remember uh, Pedro brushing it off. I'm not sure. I don't think there, there wouldn't have been many artificial surfaces in Portugal. But I think I'm right in saying there was maybe a couple in Mexico when he was and in Santos would, Laguna. Potentially as well in, uh, uh, in the Qatar, Middle East. Of course, Middle East. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I remember he kind of laughed about it because he, he, he's a... Uh, it was a goalkeeper, obviously, so he was talking about how you know, in the streets in Portugal he used to dive about in concrete and all that, so I don't think he'll worry <laughs> That's such about... a Pedro quote, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's what he said. Uh, so I don't think he'll worry about it too much, but it is an issue because I don't think the Hamilton pitch is the best artificial surface in Scotland. Um, I don't think it's one of the better ones. No. So... No, you need to you need to adapt to that. Rangers will need to be they'll need to be really solid, they'll need to play in a certain way. It sounds a daft thing to say, but these artificial pitches, you know, you've seen it yourself. When you try and play kind of long balls, you know, to, to runners like full backs or I mean, it just skids off the surface and yeah. goes away. I mean you, you need to you need to tailor your game, you no, know, to play on a pitch like that. So that's the challenge for Rangers, it's gonna be difficult for them. And in terms of Pedro We've not really touched on kind of his future, if you like, as as Rangers manager. But that result on Saturday against Celtic, I think, now pretty much puts him. If he wasn't already, he's now under serious pressure on a game by game basis because 
any slip up at Hamilton on Friday night, fall, you know, potentially falling further behind the teams above, is uh, is going to heap so much pressure on his shoulders. Yeah, the, the the gap between Rangers and Celtic isn't really the issue. It's the gap between Aberdeen and Rangers yeah. that that should be concerning Rangers fans more. Yeah. Um, I know Aberdeen have had their ups and downs, but they have the ability to grind out results. McInnes has proven that time and again. And they, they showed that. Uh, I mean, talking about teams adapting, I was at the Motherwell Aberdeen Cup tie uh, on Thursday night, and Motherwell absolutely battered Aberdeen. I mean. Physically outfought them, outthought them tactically, uh, outplayed them and scored scored really good goals. Fast forward what three four days to Sunday, Derek McInnes changed his team. Think made three or four changes and totally solidified them. Much more physical approach, oh, wasn't it? Totally brought in the boy McKenna, who's not really had a chance at Aberdeen despite. Uh, doing pretty well with Scotland in their 19s under 21s and on loan in the, in the championship brought him in cause he's big physical win things in the air brought Carrie Arneson in to deal with Malt specifically I think and Arneson's experience told on Sunday uh, up against Malt who did very little in the in the game um, so Derek McInnes watched the game on Thursday night when he got a close-up look at what Motherwell are about this season, seen his team getting battered and changed accordingly, produced a night-and-day performance on the Sunday in terms of being solid and difficult to beat, and as you say, ground out a, a 1-0 victory that was that was crucial for them in the, in the context of the Premiership. Derek McInnes has within his squad a lot of options. It's very tactically flexible in terms of the players he's brought in, covering a lot of different positions. He can play in lots of different ways. I'm not sure Pedro can do that, you know. I still think he's short in a, in a couple of areas that we've discussed over and over again on this podcast. So the question I want to put to you, Scott, is do you think Rangers will open the push strings up in January, irrespective of whether Pedro is the manager or not, and who you think they should be targeting in Scottish football? That's a big question, but will they let Will they give Pedro Cusinha more money to spend? I, I don't think they will if it's Mexican players no. or, or Portuguese players, but I think they might for Scottish lads that are yeah. established Possibly. talent. I think we spoke about that before. I mean, I suppose if you're going for, for instance, Jamie Walker again in January, even if you're on the Rangers board and you're worried about giving Pedro more money because you're a bit unsure about his future you can be pretty certain that the next manager who comes in will be quite glad to have Jamie Walker in their squad. I don't think you could say the same about Carlos Peña or Eduardo Herrera or, or whoever. So, will they strengthen again in January? I think they'll need to. I think, I think they'll need to go and try and get at least one, maybe two, that can go to Rangers now and make an impact or go to Rangers in January and make an impact for the second half of the season and I think they'll also need to try and tie up one or two pre-contracts and that, that's where a Jamie Walker or a Kenny McLean or a Louis Malt will, will maybe come into their, their thinking What about other players in Scottish football is, is there anyone um, that stands out to you I'm going to throw a couple of names at you here yep. John McGinn I'm a huge fan of John McGinn huge fan and if I'm being honest Rangers should have signed John McGinn a long time ago uh, and you could maybe you could maybe argue Celtic should have you know, for the outlay uh, for the financial outlay that you'd probably need to come up with I, I thought at one point it would probably in the summer actually I thought it would have been a no brainer for Brendan Rodgers to go and get John McGinn yeah is there a there's a sort of tacit understanding amongst fans that he's a Celtic fan, isn't there? So yeah. he wouldn't go to Rangers. But why would that... I, I if, if Celtic aren't in for him... Knowing, knowing John McGinn as I do, despite... No, well, no, he's kind of he's family history. His, his relatives, you know, Jack McGinn, people that are associated with Celtic. So we know that. But um, knowing the type of person John McGinn is, uh, knowing the type of ambition that he's got... I don't think he'd have any problem going to Rangers if that opportunity came up. And I, and I, you know, I know for a fact, no matter what his allegiances might have been, 
whichever club he goes to, he would give nothing less than than a hundred percent. I think the best example of that is Scott Brown at Celtic. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't care about the fact you know. No, exactly. Um, I think the thing about McGinn as well is he would perfectly complement what's there. Yeah. If you had him in a midfield with Jack at the base, Doran's on the left, and him on the right, yeah. that's an incredibly potent midfield at SPFL level. Yeah. I mean, that would be the best midfield outside of Celtic. I would agree with that. I think he would add so much to that. I think John McGinn's just got a bit of everything um, yeah. in terms of what you want from a, a central midfield player. And at his age, I think he's only going to get better. How much is he, do you think Hibbs would want for him? I think we're talking about two, two and a half million. What's, what's his contract now? Is I think he's got two years left. Two years and, left. But obviously, well, he's, he's, it's going to be one year in, in the summer. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I know, uh, I remember writing a story uh, a few months back that uh, Ipswich, I know for a fact, Ipswich inquired about, I think he even made a bid, 500,000, something like that, if memory serves me right. And correctly Neil, laughed out. Neil yeah. Lennon no, laughed out of, out of court. I think the following night, Again, if I remember right, Neil Lennon was on uh, BT for a, I think it was Ross County V-Hubs and said it was worth five million. Now, I think that's maybe going a bit too far at the other end, but he's a Scotland international, he's young, his attitude's terrific, he knows the league, knows our game, as you say, I think you would compliment what's already there if we're talking about Rangers. Um, with a year left on his contract, you're looking at a million quid, a million, million and a half maybe. Hibs and Rangers though, notoriously testy relationship when it comes to negotiating transfers think, after that Scott Allen one. Whether you like it or not, I think it's Rangers in every, every club yeah. in the Scottish top flight. No, they don't seem to, other clubs um, seem to have a problem in uh, Do you think that's because it's good, it's good PR? It's good PR to have a sort of testy relationship with Rangers given the way the last five years has yeah, gone. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's kind of... Yeah, maybe it's for their fans more than anything else to show show that they're not going to be kind of dictated to or, or pushed around. But certainly, there's no arguing against the fact that when Rangers have tried to, whether it be Scott Allen, Jamie Walker, t- to name two, I suppose Kenny McLean as well, um, because I think Rangers were clearly interested in him as well. But the the, the other clubs, and listen, they're well, well within their rights. No, nobody's arguing uh, against that, they're well within their rights to say we don't want to sell to a, to a rival. Um, mm. And you're right, McGinn would come into that, come into that category again. One more player, and then I'll let you throw one at me. Uh, Shea Logan. Do you think he's better than James Tavernier? Interesting. Um, honestly, I don't think it would be that big an improvement on, on Tavernier. Uh, I think. Uh, For I think me, he's a bit defensively sharper. He's a similar type of player. He gets about. He's nimble. He's he's good going forward. But I think defensively, he's got a fair yeah, wedge I mean, on Tavernier. Well, well, I would say you're probably right in saying Tavernier's better going forward. Yeah, probably. I think, uh, and also, I would argue Tavernier's delivery was probably better in terms of his quality on the ball from set pieces or deliveries for wide. I think you would need to balance that up. I'd probably take. Uh, Tavernier over over Logan on that um, I like that you're going for the French pronunciation I, I keep getting mixed up with that actually I don't know what, what I, I think we've all done it because when he came in we were all saying Tavernier yeah, I know there's a way Tavernier. he prefers but I don't Tavernier know Tavernier he prefers I, I can't even say that uh, Bonjour I, James <laughs> I think uh, I don't think there's too much between them Aye. listen if Rangers signed Shea Logan I wouldn't say it was a a bad signing by any stretch but I don't know. I don't know if it would be a vast, a okay. vast improvement. So who would you who would you throw into the mix? Listen, I think he's he's already been mentioned. I think if he could get Kenny McLean, yeah, Brooks, it'd be a great great signing for them. Do you know Aberdeen fans on Twitter over the last few days? Because I tweeted something out that I, th- I felt that if Rangers could get Jamie Walker, Kenny McLean, and Louis Moulton in in January, that would basically solve their problems. Now, what I was talking about, I got slaughtered for it. What I was talking about was in terms of being the second best team. Not, yeah. not that's not going to overtake Celtic. No. But I think if they got those three in, they'd comfortably be the second best because it solves big target man that's effective, it scores goals. Um, 
it gives you a, a really strong left midfield. Yeah. Kenny McLean or Jamie Walker could go in there. Yeah. And it gives you that player who can play as a second striker, Kenny McLean or Jamie Walker. Yeah. Also gives you someone in Kenny McLean who's actually, for the most part, snuffed out Scott Brown in a game. Yeah. Um, in the cup final. That's right. Um So so I think that would be that would be a, a tremendous coup for Rangers if they could get those three players. So in. H- historically, oh, any Rangers manager, what, what one of the main no jobs if you like for any Rangers manager is surely to look around no the Scottish top flight and try and no it's it's not unkind to say if you're a Rangers manager you would look around and say where can I weaken my opposition here that's key as Rangers tried to do with Ryan Jack in the summer by taking Aberdeen's cap there's no question that part of Rangers thinking with that wasn't just that Ryan Jack's a good player. It'll, uh, it'll strengthen us and we can get him for free. It was about weakening Aberdeen, taking their captain off them, trying to you know, uh, make a statement of intent that we are big enough and strong enough that we can take your captain off you. So, of course, you need to look about uh, you know, the Scottish top flight and see where the best players are. But it's no guarantee that they're going to be a success. Uh, so you need to be careful, it's got to be the right ones. Again, historically, off the top of my head, when I think about Rangers in the past, taking like Alan McLaren, going way back, no, for Hearts, or even Kevin Thompson, for Hibs coming in. They need, they need to be the right type. They need to, you, as a manager, uh, you need to know that they're going to be able to handle life as a Rangers player and everything that comes with it. So you do need to kind of cherry pick, but certainly the three that you've mentioned, um, certainly McLean and Walker, definitely. I think I'm a wee, I'm a wee bit unsure still about Louis Moult and yeah. w- what he would bring, but certainly Kenny McLean and, and Jamie Walker would be, if they could get them, which is a big if, they, they would definitely strengthen the current Rangers. What I was going to say was that in reaction to that tweet that I made, um, there was a lot of Aberdeen fans coming on saying, well, you can just have him because he's been he's been poor. Yeah. Uh, and I, I interacted with a few of them and they just said, look, he hasn't kicked a ball all season. Mm. Whether that's because he knows that in come January he's going to be making a huge decision about his yeah. future and he doesn't want to get himself in bother. Maybe. Uh, I mean, I've seen Aberdeen quite a bit uh, this season and... Well, that cup tie against Mullerway it wasn't great but, but there was no Aberdeen player no. performed that night uh, I actually felt a wee bit for him on the Thursday night because Derek McInnes did tinker with the, the team for that cup tie and he played Kenny Miller wide right of a attacking three which Kenny Miller eh, Kenny, Kenny McLean, McLean sorry yeah. and it didn't really it didn't really suit him um, so no, I think he's got he's got all the attributes maybe Maybe you're right, maybe it has been a bit off for him because he's thinking, as you say, in January there's going to be clubs interested. I might need to make a, make a decision whether it be to go and whether Aberdeen accept a bid for him to go in January or whether he's going to need to play out six months at Aberdeen towards the end of the season knowing that he's going to be playing his football uh, elsewhere. But I think when Kenny, when Kenny McLean's played in his best position, uh, which... I would argue as as a advanced midfielder. One of the one of the three. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Then I think uh, it'd be an asset to, to anyone. And I, listen, I think that'll be proven. I mean, for, forget Rangers. If no, if he's got six months left to run in January, there'll be English clubs, Championship clubs speaking to Aberdeen. There's no doubt about that. I think you could say that of all three of those players, which yeah. I think it's why it's important Rangers get in there if they're going to do something with them. Yeah. Um, and I think, as we've discussed, I think for the, it's great value for money at, 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 when their, their contracts are up so yeah. soon after that. What? How big a role do you think, though, it's easy for us to say these are the guys that are they're coming to the end of their contract, they've done really well in Scottish football, but we've got a guy that's a sort of fly in the ointment of this, which is Mark Allen, who is, I'm presuming has got, a, based on his job history, has got a great network of contacts yeah. surrounding surrounding him down down south I wonder how what sort of impact he's actually going to have on Rangers recruitment and how, how that is going to potentially complicate matters yeah that will be hugely interesting because we don't we genuinely don't know yet we've still not sat down with him have we we've still not he's, he's still not been made available um, to, to the press he's not been put up for a, a 
press conference we're only going with some quotes uh, when he was unveiled on the Rangers official kind of media outlet so we haven't been able to really question Mark Allen I can only comment on I think I've mentioned before but when we've asked Pedro Cusini about him um, all he said was that no, he would be very hands on uh, in terms of recruitment um, I think Cusini actually used the the, the phrase no, when this when the evolution of this team this current team is finished Mark Allen will have a list of players that are for the next the next Rangers team if you like so I don't doubt Mark Allen will be working away in the background surely uh, even now working on, on players uh, he must have had a hand in bringing the boy Nemani in from, from Man City uh, that had his kind of fingerprints all over it um, so will there be a few more like that in January? Possibly. Um, but it'll be interesting if Mark Allen, as you say, with his background in English football, um, or mainly in English football, no, will he know the Scottish market? Will he know a Jamie Walker? No, is he watching Louis Moult? I'm not convinced about that. I'd imagine his ideas um, and his thoughts on potential signings for Rangers will come out with Scotland. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how that develops. I'd love the chance to, to, to speak to him or sit down with him and see what his basically see what his vision is for, for Rangers now because he's the guy who oh yeah, you forget you forget now because everything's happened in between how much a Ferrari there was about Rangers appointing a director of football yeah. um at, at the time, you no know, during the, the summer. Um and now that he's actually here, as I say, he's been in the background up until now. So it'll be fascinating to see what impact or what, what influence he has on what Rangers do in the transfer market in January and in the summer, whether Pedro Cusinha is there or not. OK, that's all from us this week. We'll be back next Wednesday from 4pm. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. I'm on Twitter at Johnny R. McFarlane and Scott is... Scott McDermott 8. Don't forget to subscribe at iTunes or Audioboom to get the podcast as soon as it becomes available. And if you liked it, please review and rate us there too. Thanks for listening.